Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Welcome to the bigger picture. Picte Wealth Management has just released its 11th edition of Horizon, its 10-year view on economies, and the overarching theme for Horizon 2023 is scarcity and what the various forms of scarcity of resources and commodities, labor, and growing political polarization mean for investment decisions. So let's unpack it with Alexandre Tavazzi. He is the head of CIO office and macro research at Picte Wealth Management. Welcome to the show, Alexandre. Thank you very much. Welcome to be with you. So let's start with an overview first. Give us an idea. How are things changing and changing the way perhaps we should be looking at investing? Things have changed very fast over the last two years because many things we took for granted are not granted anymore. Typically, we talk about scarcity of, of energy. I think there's an obvious case of scarcity. Scarcity of materials, if we want to move to the next stage of greener energies. Scarcity of labor, because a lot of people have left the labor force in the last two years in the U.S., but to realize this is not just a U.S. event. And scarcity of trust, as you have rightly pointed out, at the geopolitical level. So all of that is contributing to make the investment landscape very different, less abundant issues to talk about, and less things that we all need to pay. But because they are scarce, we need to pay a high level. And that contributes to making inflation move at a higher level, which is contributing, of course, to make interest rates move at a higher level too. This is the profound changes that we see over the next 10 years. As Drake, could you expand on that idea of scarcity? Because we've always been competing for resources. How is that going to be different in the next decade? Yeah, maybe the largest resource we were not competing for was labor force. Two million people have left the labor force in the US. And if anything, over the last two years, if we listen to the companies getting the right people in to be able to operate, especially when the economy was restarting, was, was a key issue. Recently, if you look at Germany, the wage negotiations that are taking place across the country between unions and companies are resulting almost invariably into a rise of, of uh, the price of labor. In Japan as well, this is maybe one of the last places where you would imagine jobs to move up and labor prices to move up then the recent unions have led to a rise uh, in, in the labor price. So for the company's point of view, things that were supposedly not an issue in the last 20 years are becoming a crucial issue because of the need of the people you need to be able to operate the companies. So from a margin point of view, from the corporate sector, this is a big change that companies have to take into consideration. Is there also that sense that there's a mismatch when it comes to skills and supply of labor? Yes, very true. Maybe one of the best examples of this mismatch of skills is the Chinese data. If you look at the people aged 16 to 24 years old, the unemployment rate in China for those, that segment of the population is just a notch below 20%. So probably the people who get out of universities do not find the jobs that correspond to what they need. And by and large, what is needed today, if we think about reshoring, onshoring, a lot of countries want to re-industrialize, you need blue-collar workers. You probably need less white-collar workers, and blue-collar workers are what is most needed, but basically where the training has been the least important over the last years. Yeah, so a lot for policymakers to chew on as they try to figure out what to do. And talking about policymakers, there is also that normalization of monetary policy after years of easy money. I think economies and markets are still struggling to adjust to what is this new normal. What are some of the adjustments or ripple effects that we can expect in the next decade? 
if we look at the next 10 years, maybe it's fair to say that the level of inflation is moving up by a notch. As you have rightly pointed out, central banks were struggling to bring inflation back to 2%. Now they hope to make it back on the way down to 2%, which is going to be difficult under the current environment. So maybe 3 to 3.5% inflation rate is going to be the new norm. So which means that in terms of long-term interest rates, if we take the 10-year treasury bonds as maybe the best anchor of interest rates, from maybe 25 to 3, we have to expect a normal rate of, let's say, 3 to 3.5, which is a 100 points, 100 basis points higher, which has consequences, of course, for the way markets are operating. And for central banks, would they be more unwilling or limited in what they can do? Yes. Um, for central banks, the difficulty will be when, as we're not getting back to the previous stage of inflation, then they will be able to maybe reduce a little bit the interest rate level, not come back to the previous level. And in terms of balance sheet size as well, we know that the balance sheet size of all central banks around the world have basically expanded dramatically. We do not expect them to come back to come back to the initial level either. So maybe central banks are going to be around. They're going to be helpful when we have a banking or stress in the financial system, such as the one we had recently. But definitely, mm. we have come to a new stage of monetary policy, where central banks are going to have a soft monetary policy helping and trying to be there when you have a crisis, a liquidity crisis that they have to address. Yeah, that's a very good point, Alexandre, that the banking sector turmoil in the US is also a reflection of how some of these higher rates are starting to ripple through some parts of the economy. Is this just a sign of more to come? Yes, most likely. Um, you know, basically rates have been brought down to zero back in 2008, 2009, after the great financial crisis. They have stayed there up until 2022. This was the time when central bank decided to react. So in our industry, we have a lot of mindsets, opinions, way to operate, which was formed under this zero rate environment, including at the corporate sector. So a lot of corporates were able to find a very cheap financing source mm. over the last years, and this is not anymore going to be the case going forward. But that depends on every individual company's refinancing schedule, because eventually those high rates only hurt you when you have to come back to the market to find this new refinancing. So depending on the companies, it may hurt today, tomorrow, or maybe only in 2024. So when we look at the corporate sector, the big wave of refinancing doesn't come in 2023, but in 2024. So coming to your point, yes, there's still more to come, but maybe not necessarily now, but eventually in the coming 12 months. Well, that's a lot to watch out for in the coming year. In conversation with Alexandre Tabanzi, he is the head of CIO office and macro research at Pictet Wealth Management. And talking about what's to come, Alexandre, we've been watching the earnings season unravel. And to some extent, we've been seeing corporate margins under pressure, all the familiar themes, higher costs, higher labor costs, higher raw material costs. How much will that put pressure on companies in the coming quarters? When will we see that start to ease up? That's a very good point. If we go back the last 20 years, the EBIT margin of US companies to, to, to say was around 10%. We are now today at 14%, 1-4%. Out of that, 2.5% of the improvement in margins was coming from lower financing costs, so basically lower interest rates. A part of it was also due to lower taxes. And of course, as we know, labor price were, were very low because the asset light business or the business where you were producing something but for someone else in a place where it was cheap to produce is not anymore what we expect. So higher interest rates are going to hurt profitability, higher taxes as well. 
because we expect governments to try to find new financing sources. And as we have mentioned a few times, labor prices are starting to move higher. So we need to have a long-term adjustment. As you have rightly pointed out, um, profit margins have hit the peak in the past quarters. We expect them to come down. But this is a uh, long-term phenomenon. It's a process. It's not an event. So this may last for maybe one or two years up until we get to the new norm, which we expect to be a lower profitability on a global level. Uh, Alexandre, one of the things that have been, well, something we have to adjust to is the view on the 60-40 portfolio. So last year was a pretty bad one for the 60-40 outlook. But this year, things are starting to change. How different are things going to be in the next 10 years? Is this where we should be right now, 60-40? I think so. The good thing about the situation as we see and noting that we have a high inflation rate, which is which means higher interest rates, finally, we can have a decent income out of a fixed income portfolio. And as you have mentioned last year, when markets were down anyway from 15 to, to 20%, depending on which markets we look at. But the good thing from the investment point of view is that finally, we can have a portfolio which not, not only counts on equities doing fine, thanks to growth, but on bonds returning some decent income. Uh, If I look at the US investment grade market, we expect roughly about 6% of of, uh, total return to come to us in in the next 10 years. That means that combining equities and bonds can generate decent returns for investors. And again, with a volatility which is much lower than in the past years, because we don't need to be so heavily invested in equities, because we do have this equilibrium of this balance now coming out of the bond portfolio. All right. And in terms of allocation, where would you be parking your money right now with the China reopening story? Does that get weighted more towards China? Yeah, not for now. If I just look at the current allocation that we have, we are currently overweighted in Chinese equities and happy to do so. But China is not benefiting just China. The second largest trading partner of China is Europe. And the first one is Asia. So you have a lot of companies outside of China which benefit a lot uh, of the, um, by the Chinese reopening. And sometimes it's also interesting to not only go directly into Chinese equities as we are, but mm. also to see other, in other places of the world which companies are benefiting as well from the reopening of China. All right, so look at potential beneficiaries, indirect ones as well, to see where you can get some value. So we've been chatting with Alexandre Tabatsi. He is the head of CIO office and macro research at Pictay Wealth Management. Alexandre, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to the full interview, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O, available on Google Play or the App Store.